welcome. This is Mango Masala, the South Asian show. My name's Gerns. I am joined here by Halima. Hey guys. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wouldn't not be a Mango Masala episode without a little bit of technical difficulties. Technical difficulties. Sorry guys. Sorry guys. We do apologize. This time I do have to hold my hands up and say it was my laptop. My mic randomly decided to not work. I don't know why but guys this is just another example if your any technology isn't working turn it off and on again and it works so i actually saw like a really good analogy for that so someone was like basically say you're in a you say you're in a new city or whatever and you know the route from your house to the supermarket like you know that one route right Mm mm-hmm and say one day you were on your way to the supermarket and then you took like a wrong turn and then you just keep making a series of wrong turns and then you'll just never find your way back right whereas if you went back home and you started the the route fresh then you would know your way back right yeah i suppose that makes sense that's kind of like the analogy for if you just turn it back on sometimes the wires and whatever else yeah it works yeah i mean in my case i don't know i've had this laptop for what what was it nearly in january it will have be eight years so it's oh as as laptops go it's getting a bit old but it's still serving me well so wait i think oh mine's been about six years six years yeah credit to macbooks this yeah, is not this is not a paid promotion by the way this is just us speaking about it in all honesty like i've had this for a long time and it's still working so yeah give mm. us a brand job who owns apple now i have no idea i just know the name steve jobs that's it i was gonna say give us a, give us give us a, give us a brand deal steve jobs but he's uh sadly not with us anymore yeah but to get away from things being morbid and move on yeah. to things being um moany if we're going to put it that way i was going to say getting moving from morbid to morbid guys this is, <laughs> this is not going to if you don't want to hear no negativity log out right now yeah log out right now if you don't want to hear me whine so for context guys last time we were on the show um halima had just come back from a three-week um, holiday around various African countries. Over three weeks, I was out for like three and a half. Yeah, very fun. Come back, but she was fine because she was going to Morocco like a few days afterwards, so it was all good. Now she's back from Morocco, and yeah, things aren't so good. That's it now. Have so you- I was, I was, I did in Eastern South Africa for like just under a month. And then I came back home for literally four days and then I went back to North Africa. Been in Morocco for the past eight days and landed literally like, what, 12? Wait, hang on, got home about 12, no, less than 12 hours ago. Only got home like 11 hours ago. It was a nightmare getting back, I'm not going to lie. Basically, um, for those of you who have been traveling, you'll know like the aviation industry is just really struggling right now so first of all there's like air control traffic strikes in france Mm. and we were flying over france to get back so there was like a two-hour delay basically from the time that our flight was supposed to set off to when it actually did set off so we got home like two hours later and we flew into stansted and i'm living in north london right now so we have to get the train back we just missed the first train so we just got in like before half 12 the train was at half 12 we just missed it the next one 
was at half one because it's late so they're, they're only one one every hour the next one was at half one it's cancelled it's cancelled because of some system failure and i literally shouted out on the train tell me one thing that works in this country i was so vexed <laughs> anyways and then we had to get it get it at half two the next train at half two so dr doyle was like a 12 hour journey it was not fun no. That's always the worst thing about traveling. It's all good and well seeing the world, but then when you've got like long journeys home, because my journey back from South Africa was so long. That journey was like 19 hours. It takes an hour of you. It does. It does. And like it's miserable enough coming back to the UK, but to come back under these circumstances, it just doesn't help. No. <sighs> but have you, so you've not got any holiday plan then? Like for the rest uh, of this no. year? Wow. Well, Hopefully, my plan was to go to Bangladesh in December, like to see my family. But um, I did have a look at ticket prices and it's not looking good. So I might try to finesse and like ask my parents to pay for my ticket. But otherwise, nah, I've got to go. I've got to go. It's been a few years. It's a family affair. I'm sure they'd understand. Yeah, I'll just ask them to pay for it. Yeah. But like, inshallah, I'll be going to Bangladesh in in December well that's why like when someone I was in Morocco I just kept I was very very hyper like vigilant of the fact that okay do you know what this will be my last bit of sun for the next like three months Mm. and it's weird because the day you've come back I don't know if you've noticed and it's weird because I looked at the temperature and it doesn't seem to have gone down that much but it does feel a lot colder I don't know why oh my god so I was, you know, doing a little working from home out there. And the day of our flight, so our flight was in the evening at 7pm. And like during the day when I had a meeting during the day, like all my colleagues were on camera wearing big jumpers. <laughs> and and I basically, I lost, I took a jumper out there, like for the flight there and back. Um, and I lost that jumper when I was like, in Morocco. So I came back in like a thin t-shirt um, and my Birkenstocks and I landed and I kid you not, it was like 20 degrees colder like literally 20 degrees colder mm-hmm. out in morocco the first few days we were in morocco is because it's like desert climate it's so hot so the first few days when we were out there it was like 39 degrees 38 degrees around there and then the last few days it was like 34 35 low lowest was like 31 or something like that um and i've come back and it's like what 17 degrees now i don't know what manchester is but in london it's like yeah 17 degrees or something like that but it's weird though because 17 degrees for us i'd say that's like for the uk that's like warm yeah it's not even cold yet but that's what i'm terrified of i'm literally terrified i'm i'm you know like do you watch game of thrones or have you watched game of thrones i've seen bits of it and you know how the whole thing is like winter is coming yeah it is the winter is coming that's but i feel like i feel like that every single spring every spring i am just waiting in complete trepidation of what is to come i hate winter you can't so even much. enjoy your summer then if you're doing that oh no from like springtime from like springtime i'm like it's because I, I, summer isn't even that long but from springtime i'm just like i'm scared i'm actually terrified i'm very scared well <sighs> 
yeah. you know what though i'll say one thing that the good could obviously ta- like traveling is great i love traveling but it is also like it does take out of you it can be really tiring and like it can sometimes be a bit difficult to kind of like be away from all your um like home comforts and all of that so one thing that i have been looking forward to a little bit is getting back into routine mm, definitely um, like into like just having one place to be based and like just having a little bit of a routine i've been sometimes traveling makes you feel like non-human um Mm. especially because i turned 26 five days ago you know when we posted the thing on um yeah, our Instagram, I was debating whether to put something about you basically being anti-H and album. I thought, yeah, what now? We'll, we'll leave it. But it, it probably, I probably would have cried for three hours if I saw <laughs> Carlos. Fast approaching that territory. Mate, how do you feel? How do I feel? I'm not, t- I've got, I've got just under a month left. How do you feel? <laughs> Do you know what? It's a bit different for you, I think, because like for men, it's different. Like aging doesn't take as I feel like it doesn't take as much toll on a man's like biology as it does a woman for obvious reasons. Yeah, um, in a lot, of, in a lot, not not just biology as well. But I think also in terms of like perception. As I was, well. a, I was just about to yeah. Say, yeah, like socially as well, men are not conditioned to 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 kind of like think of their worth and their esteem in terms of age like the way that a woman is and also you're engaged like which i think is a really really big part of kind of having your life together if that's kind of the route that you want to go down if that's what you want to do there's like a lot of stability i think that comes with that so for you 26 i don't know like i feel like if i was in your position 26 might feel quite exciting actually it's like a new age new era i I don't know i don't know like because it was that I was actually discussing this with my friends yesterday because someone posted a picture from five years ago in which um, it was like summer 2017. So I was 20, nearly 21 there. And just looking at that and being like, yeah, I'm about to turn 26. I did feel a bit like, oh, I don't know. But they were all like, well, you are young. But I was like, I don't I don't feel it anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. that I don't. Aging is just such a... I don't know. It's, you know what? So, and I don't know if I could articulate this properly, but you know, because we lived our whole life as like young people, right? Yeah. Sometimes you think that that's all there is. Like sometimes I, I don't know. I don't know for you, but I don't think I've ever sat down and actually deep the fact that I'm gonna be forty years old one day, and that's gonna be my life like or i'm going to be like 50 or 60 or 30 or whatever i've never thought of i've just always thought that like me being young and the way that i am and the way that i look at the world and the way that the world looks at me and the way that i move and the way that people look at like treat me and whatever else like that's all we've ever known so that's just what i think life is Mm -hmm. i think the way that i think about i'm realizing now is the way that i thought about it is i have deep to that but i've never thought whenever I'm thinking about it, that I've realized I've kind of thought of it as a sort of destination that you can come back from rather than it's a point on a journey at which there's no return. Like you are just going to get older. Do you know what I mean? mean, Yeah. Like it's it's, it's just so, that's what it is. That's what it is. It's like, it's no, it's, it's just chapters closed. It's just closed chapters, constantly closed chapters. It's just bizarre. And it's like, you're never going to be, 
this age again. You're never going to be in this stage of your life again. Like when I'm 40 years old and I've got kids and all of these things, inshallah, like I'm never going to have like the freedom of, of being this age. You know, and that's why I probably try to do as much as I can. And I'm so active and stuff like that. But, but I think it's all scary. It's so scary to what, think about. What you were saying, though, about closing chapters, I think trying not to be too pessimistic we've got to realize that at the same time you're closing when you are opening another so again maybe we need to think about it more in terms of like we're constantly entering new chapters rather than constantly closing them do you know what i mean because there's about what there's, there's there's nothing you can change about the past but you can very much like determine what you're going to do in the next year of your life you know what i mean yeah so, it's true and it is like i don't know we say this we come to this conclusion all the time whenever we talk about age on the show but it is kind of very much about unlearning and relearning your your perception yeah of aging you know and okay yeah you might not never be 20 years old and maybe have like the youth and the virility that you have now but that doesn't mean to say that you won't have just as much fun at 30 or 40 with what life has to offer you at that stage you know yeah it's just i don't know yeah it's just scary it's just I, i'm not gonna lie i'm a little bit scared of like aging not 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 because i'm i'm scared of like being old but i'm scared of not being young do you get what i'm saying i think it's like a freedom yeah. thing because i can't lie i love my life i have a great life you know i'm very active i'm i'm all over the place i'm always doing things it is weird that you say that in terms of freedom though because you would think that the older you get the more freedom you have in terms of being more independent and being able to do what you want to do whereas realistically i feel like it maybe does go that way for that period between when you're maybe like a young adult and before you settle down if that's what you want to do but then once you've got other obligations your <clears throat> your freedom does become restricted in ways that you don't necessarily consider before yeah, i think i think it's, it's always just a um it's always just a it, it's a what do you call it a give and take like when you're young you have your like your youth your virility and whatever else but then when you're older it's a different kind of reason because then you know you I, you have more money and and all of these things so yeah i don't know but i do find it scary keeping things positive though like you were saying about engagement um i was saying when we we're having the technical difficulties before um, hey you were you and um, Mianka hit your sixth year anniversary the other day. Congrats. Yeah, yesterday. Um, How do you feel? Six years. God. It is obviously it's nice, but it's sad in that um, she's not here. But then it's not. Oh, where is she? Well, that's the thing. Not so sad in the fact that the reason she's not here is because she's currently in India shopping for the wedding. So, oh, she's in India. Yeah. Oh so. my god, that is so exciting! What the what what the? <laughs> I a bad word. Who's she gone with? Her mum and sister. Oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah, that was sick. That must actually be sick. Yeah, and to my, I think from my understanding, she has like picked out like basically the outfits that she's gonna wear. So now it's a case of getting them made. She apparently, I was saying, I'm not allowed to know what they are because i think yeah, it's you're not, be... you shouldn't you shouldn't know you shouldn't exactly know. but the problem is like which i realized the other day because basically she wanted me to send this list that 
um, was on her laptop of yeah. um, stuff that they need to buy. So I did yeah. that and then I just thought, oh, I'll just go on WhatsApp web and then just put it because you have like a group chat for the wedding. I'll just put it on there. Yeah. Open- no, Sam, you nearly accidentally saw something. Well, exactly. I, I wasn't thinking and then I saw that there was a chat called wedding and I was like, why am I not in this chat about the wedding? And I was like, oh that's why luckily i didn't click on it but i was oh, like oh, and that, that made me realize for the next eight months i'm pretty much should, yeah should not be like anywhere near her phone or doing anything yeah, like yeah, yeah. that that's sort of so thing weird to finally have that level of kind of like because you think in a relationship that it's just completely open and transparent but to finally have to have that level of like secrecy but yeah. it's exciting it's so exciting yeah no it's definitely I'm I'm happy that it that it seems to be getting sorted because I think beforehand it, I, I I don't really know too much about how this sort of thing works, but I was nervous like oh what if she doesn't find what she wants or like because mm-hmm. it, it's it's not like you can just hop on another plane to India whenever you want. But I'm glad things seem to be moving along, and then obviously once she's decided what she wants, that means that everyone follows suit. So now I'm going to be able to understand like or know what I'm going to wear as well, which is. Cool. What are you doing about your clothes? So I, I was basically like, I'm not too bothered as long as I actually like what I'm wearing. Um, but obviously it kind of needs to be coordinated with what she's wearing. So I was like, you just decide what you want and then can go from there sort of thing. Okay, but, so let him take the lead. That's what you call a well-trained man. Yeah. No, I don't mind. Like, it's, I, I think it's interesting across lots of different cultures i think the wedding does in heterosexual um weddings it does seem to be the female um role that 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 like it's it's more of a not not more of a big thing but it's more like they care about like down to the very nitty-gritty of like i want this i want that like i'm just i'm just kind of sorry no i say i'm just kind of like as long as i like it i'm fine like yeah but that's good though we need to have like a dedicated um wedding episode maybe afterwards maybe afterwards because then you can speak on like hindsight now maybe we should do one beforehand and maybe we should we should do one afterwards because i really want to hear like what that because it's so exciting like what the whole experience has been like and what you've learned and mm-hmm. and all of the, what you'd advise to other young people trying to get married that's a really good idea actually i think like like i like the idea of like obviously beforehand get me anchor back on the yeah. show it's weird like as well because obviously we got engaged just after my birthday which is just under a month away so it's like it's well, been, it, it nearly been a year yeah since got engaged and obviously she came on the oh, show after that so no way yeah time this year i think is one of the fastest of my it's life ridiculous it's actually ridiculous yeah. i can't i can't i can't get my head around the fact that that like because i've been so it's when you're busy like i've been so busy this year and it's like now I'm finally I'm back now and I'm finally gonna stay put for for a few months and obviously as I was saying before like I'm looking forward to having a routine because there are some like serious goals that I want to hit now that I'm 26 and um and I've I've got three months to do it before the year ends and we know three months will go by like nothing yeah and hey, it's you know? December Miss. Manga Masala turns two, which seems like it's only like no. yesterday that we turned one. So it's like, it's oh my god, we should just... throw a party. We should throw a party. Yeah. 
for sure. Well, we should do what we did last time as well. That was really nice when we did like an episode and then had your um, parents' food afterwards. Very nice. What was it? Yeah, we did yeah. do that. Oh my god, yes, let's do that. We should one day we should actually throw like a mango masala party and have like all the friends of the show. Yeah, definitely. Hey, this is one for me and Carlos. <laughs> Stay tuned, guys. Stay just, tuned. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to plan it around you going Bangladesh for you. We can make it work. We definitely should. Yeah. Oh my god, that would be so much fun. Just want to before we play a bit of music, just want to say this as an instance to give a shout out to Simran as well, who's currently. Working away at the well, end of a master's. Yeah. Solidarity with Simran. I am not jealous. No. Mm-mm-mm. Right, so we're going to play a bit of music now. Then we come back, we're going to have a bit of a discussion about a recent report from the Institute of Race Relations, which has claimed that Muslims in the UK um, are being considered second class citizens. And then the end of the episode, we'll. Ha- yeah, well, that, that's gonna get. We're gonna get into that. But then also after that, we are gonna be speaking to Rimshocks, um, who's a producer. He's produced a number of tracks for the likes of Bill Shahid and Rackstar. But he's now venturing into an artist in his own right with his single Agun Lago. Halima, can you translate that? What is it called? Agun Lago. Agun Agun is fire. Lago Ag- like set on fire. Yeah. See, I. I was like, okay, this is in Bangla, so I'm not going to um, try to um, translate this. So then when I was doing the interview, I was like, okay, I should probably like find out what this is. So I put it in Google Translate. Yeah. And the Google Translate translation was feel bad. So then in uh? the interview, I, yeah, in the interview, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, like um, this, this song. So I looked it up and apparently it's feel bad. And he was just like, no. I was just like, yeah, don't use Google Translate. And afterwards, I was like, I should have like just trusted my instincts because um, Gala Chashima is one of my favorite songs. And yeah. the Badshah rapping that he's like, um, said, Aga, fire. Like, he literally yeah, yeah, says yeah. that. I'm just like, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to say here. Trust your instincts. <laughs> Yeah. Google Translate, you'll be hearing from Mango Masala. Exactly. We are about to get into the second topic of today, which, um, Halima, I don't know if you saw this whilst you're on holiday, um, but the instinct. actually. Okay, cool. So it'll be cool to get like your first instinctive reactions to this yeah. because I. I predict that I don't think this is with that surprising what I'm about to say. Um, but yeah, we'll see what you think. The Institute of Race Relations has said that Muslims in the UK are being made second class citizens. So this new report that they've put out called Citizenship from Right to Privilege um, has claimed that the Nationality and Borders Act is being used to target British Muslims, leaving them with, quote, second-class disposable contingent citizenship. So, obviously, for context, um, Clause 9 of the the new um, Nationality and Borders Act um, is what allows the Home Secretary to deprive somebody of their citizenship without notifying them. Um, this was obviously, obviously the subject of mass public protest and opposition in the House of Lords. They went back and forth a lot of times until it was eventually passed in April 2022. 
Now, what the report highlights is over the past 20 years, deprivation of British citizenship has been implemented in, implemented overwhelmingly um, against British Muslims of South Asian heritage. So, in the 30 years preceding 2003, so from roughly the 1970s, 1980s to the early 2000s, deprivation of citizenship in the UK was only used once. In the past 20 years, however, so since 2002-2003, there's been at least 217 instances of it, and 104 of these occurred in 2017 following the collapse of Islamic State in Syria. And the institution of race relations is basically arguing that citizenship is one of a number of um, measures implemented by the British government um, to um, turn British Muslims into a quote-unquote suspect community and i just got a quote here from um, francis weber who's the irr um vice chair um who put this report together and she said the message sent by the legislation on deprivation of citizenship since, since 2002 and its implementation largely against british muslims of south asian heritage is that despite their passports these people are not and can never be true citizens in the same way that natives quote unquote are while a native british citizen who has access to no other citizenship can commit the most heinous crimes without jeopardizing their rights to remain British, none of the estimated 6 million British citizens with access to another citizenship can feel confident in the perpetual nature of their citizenship. So, like I said, I, I think reading that, it was it's damning in the sense that I didn't know those statistics about how often this deprivation of citizenship had took place, but I wasn't that surprised. Um, I don't know, what about you, Alima? Um, when you first said second class citizen, I thought you was talking in terms of um, like day to day uh, like discrimination and prejudice and stuff like that, which obviously is, is still it goes hand in hand with what we were saying. But um, when so I think what what really we mean when we say second class citizen is like conditional citizen, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's and I've said this. I say this all the time, and I don't know if I've said it on on the show before, but one thousand percent. Like, so, so the demographic that we're largely talking about here is uh, South Asian Muslims, and I am a South Asian Muslim, and I've always felt as though like there's a big massive asterisk above kind of my citizenship, mm. um, a big massive asterisk on my passport. Even um, it's not surprising at all in the slightest especially and and we know that it is a, an, an islamophobic thing because of all the statistics as, as what to before 2003 it was only once and and since then it's been two 217 times the majority of which were following the collapse of isis or yeah 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 um it's not surprising at all um firstly like we have to when we talk about islamophobia we have to understand that islamophobia is massively well islam is massively racialized um th that means that certain people that th that we perceive that muslims and islam looks a certain way which is why like in the aftermath of 9-11 sikhs were, were, were massively being targeted because people cannot differentiate between a Sikh and a Muslim because they think that Muslims are just like brown people you know like that's what that's what they that's what they assume um 
-hmm. so god there's just so many levels to this i think once so once you understand the way that islam is is and muslims are racialized is it's also it's, it's essentially also a problem of like racism islamophobia is a problem of racism um and i think um to be fair, I was having this conversation with a Muslim friend like the other day. He was like, "Why, <laughs> like, why do why does the West make out that like what's the what's their threat with Islam? Like, well, what do they think is a threat with Islam? Um, and essentially, it's not an actual, it's not a tangible threat. It's a perceived threat, and it's all steeped in capitalism. So, um, what the West needed to do, and like it, this kind of like explains the entire war on terror and, and the global spike in Islamophobia post 2001. But they needed to demonize Islam so that they could have a reason to demonize Muslims, so that they could have a reason to demonize Muslim countries, so that they can then invade those Muslim countries and that they could then get, have like geopolitical gain. That's kind of, that explains like the genesis of the, the kind of uh, strand of global Islamophobia that we see today, but it has many different characters in many different uh, different contexts that that is true in the uk as well why i just explained because we were very much part of that war on terror um but also it's then kind of evolved in a lot of ways in terms of muslims and foreigners and and, and ethnic people at large kind of being blamed for certain government failings mm-hmm. um being kind of seen as the reason why people can't get a doctor's appointment you know so it's insidious in so many ways and and it goes from as i I explained everything from they're gonna kill us because we're all infidels to oh we can't get a doctor's appointment because of them like there's so much involved the islamophobia the racism the xenophobia um so much involved in all of that so it doesn't it doesn't surprise me at all. That's kind of just speaking to the general Islamophobia that's steeped in this country anyway. But the stripping of citizenship is I don't know what to say because I don't know I don't know how to rationalize it. I don't know how to rationalize it in terms of like international law because it's literally illegal. Mm-hmm. You know, other than the fact that yo, this is just this is our lived reality. This is actually our liberate reality, you know? And that's why when everything happened, obviously the most high profile case is Shumima Begum. And that's why when everything happened with Shumima Begum. And some and there were there were some pockets of like black and brown people celebrating as well. And I'm thinking, are you lot all right? Because you see the precedent that this is saying, you think they're mm-hmm. not gonna come for you. Like, you actually think they're not gonna come for you. Like we're so hyper we're made we're so we're forced to be so hyper vigilant of the fact that we don't we we don't belong here you know Mm -hmm. and i mean it's exactly what was said in this um report by um francis weber and the the quote i just read out obviously about how um the quote-unquote native citizen can um commit the most heinous crimes without where are they gonna send them Mm. where are they gonna send them right like if a british person goes and does the same thing and i'm sure there was that you know jihadi john I think that once again one of the most prolific cases in that regard was like this guy called I think they dubbed him like Jihadi John and I am pretty sure as far as I'm aware don't quote me but I'm pretty sure he came back um and and it's kind of like if it's a British person where are they going to send them they're not exactly going to send them back to 
I don't know, wherever they came from, Scandinavia, mm. wherever, just their genealogy back to see where this demographic of English people came from. Um, but then when it's a non-white person, because there's always a place of origin, no, no matter how, how distant that place of origin might actually be from that person's kind of like lived reality, there's always somewhere to send them back to. Like in the case of Shimima Begum, and it is... And it, even though it's the most prolific case, it's also the most apt example of the the kind of how illogical this is because Shimima had never been to Bangladesh before. Yeah. She had never been to Bangladesh before and they stripped her citizenship on the basis that she could get, in, in, in theory, she could get a Bangladesh NDR, which is a no visa required, which is not even a Bangladeshi passport, you know. The thing is as well, like, I, I mean, obviously we've discussed the Shimima Begum case on a number of um, occasions, but just to get, again, thinking about this, even if um, there was, even if it was morally correct, I don't know in what case it would be, but if it was morally correct to strip Shimima of her citizenship and she was very much like going to Bangladesh all the time. She was a Bangladesh right. Bangladeshi citizen, etc. Also, why is it our right um to be like she's your problem? Do you know what I mean? I was about to say that. What's yeah. Bangladesh got to do with it? What's Bangladesh got to do with it? it yeah. Like, what, it, why, it, come into it? Why is one country allowed to be like we don't claim her because of blah 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 but you have to it kind of shows how they're also viewing these other countries this also to be honest it's, it's a wider comment on like the um the fickleness and and the fragility of citizenship itself it's very much a modern construct and it's very much like a, a colonial and post-colonial construct as well like all the borders that we have they're all absolutely every single one is a colonial construct there's a colonial hangover they're completely man-made precariously drawn borders that don't that they mean nothing they mean absolutely nothing um and we've we force people to adhere to this system of we've put a border around this landmass and therefore you need to have a citizenship that pertains to this border here and 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 you gotta you know satisfy these criteria to cross this border here and to cross that border there like it's all it's all made up it's all just to do with rising surveillance in in the globalized world you know mm. um and 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 then when you actually think about it you realize how obs absurd it actually is obviously that's a very extreme example to strip someone of citizenship because they went and joined a terrorist group but even just on a human level the idea of citizenship itself is and i'm not and i, I understand countries need to have you know kind of um a like they need to be able to have order and, and, and track and whatever else, that's fine. But I don't believe citizenship is even for that. I believe citizenship is 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 a, is a surveillance tool. It's a tool of surveillance, you mm. know? Um and, and it's a tool of it's a tool to enforce like white supremacy and the global world order because if it was true that citizenship is ju is just there to con kind of track the movement of people. Um, for order's sake or for safety's sake or for law's sake, then why is there such a discriminatory uh, kind of system, infrastructure of who gets to have citizenship where, mm -hmm. right? And who gets to cross what border? 
these things are inherently inherently white supremacist the idea of citizenship in the first place is an inherently white supremacist idea and and let's not also forget the fact that not all citizenship is thought of in the same way um a british citizenship is perceived very differently um and holds a very very different capital to a bangladeshi citizenship for example you know and that's why we have actual indexes of what passport is strong and what that that's that's, that's an actual index the strongest passport the weakest passport and it's and it's like these citizenship and these passports belong to human beings they belong to people and we're we're tearing we're putting people and human beings into a tiered system based on which side of what border they fall in mm-hmm. you know the idea of citizenship is absurd in the first place yeah. because of how it's used how it's used you know and, and th- how it is to keep certain people in and keep certain people out yeah and i think even the the notion of having to obtain citizenship is relatively demeaning in a lot of cases but i think even once it's been attained i would argue that once citizenship has been um attributed or attained or whatever i um, think i don't think you should be able to revoke that i think once it you, you've once you've got that i think fair sure. yeah it's you, you it's confirmed and if you do something wrong Hmm. maybe it's the country's right to come down on you with whatever punishment or measure they see fit that's a different um, conversation but i would rather that than than be like okay but we're gonna take this away from you because like that's why it's legal it's literally Hmm. internationally legal what happened with shamima begum was by international standards what Sajid Javid and Priti Patel did was by by the international law it was illegal because you cannot render a person stateless you can't do that how will you force human beings to participate in a system and then expel them from that very system at your own personal whim mm-hmm. where is the logic in that where is the justice in that where is the law and order that the citizenships are supposed to uphold where where is that then when you're expelling people from entire systems just because you don't want to deal with the repercussions and by the way while we're on the shimima begin case have we because i've been not here for a while but have we spoken about the 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 recent developments and and how basically they yeah, canada no we po- we've talked about it on socials but not on radio um do you want to fill people in for the recent developments um what what was it it was basically that i can't remember it from the top of my head it was basically that was it a canadian official that was like a double agent for the cia had basically helped these girls do you remember like on one of yeah. one episode i when we spoke about her oh I, yeah I, I basically sat and I questioned how do three young girls get on a plane to Syria at 15 years of old uh, 15 years of age at the height of ISIS activity and it's allowed to happen well no, that was literally I've got that clip and then answer exclusive a, a spy oh, working really? for Canadian yeah, intelligence well, smuggled Shamira Begum so the um, context here is um 
this is a Times article, by the way, that I'm reading from. A spy working for Canadian intelligence smuggled Shamima Begum and her two friends from Bethnal Green into Syria, and Britain later conspired with Canada to cover up its role, a book has claimed. Scotland Yard was told that the teenagers were trafficked into Syria by a people smuggler who was a double agent working for Islamic State and Canadian intelligence. An inquiry was demanded last night as it emerged that Canada knew about the teenagers' fate but kept silent while the Metropolitan Police ran a frantic international search for the trio. Canada privately admitted its involvement only when it feared being exposed and then successfully asked the British to cover up its role, the book has claimed. So... Well, look who it is. If yeah. it isn't everyone's favourite, Canada. The, the, the great liberal place, Canada. The place where everyone wants to immigrate to, Canada. It's a joke. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. Canada is. I don't even. I don't even. I don't even want to go into this because I can't. There's nothing that I could say. There's actually nothing that I can't. There's nothing. I have nothing to say that would dignify any of this. No. Well, don't get me wrong. Canada's got some beautiful scenery, but ultimately, it's it's just as bad as as as, mm. as the rest of them. Mm. Probably it's not worse because of it's 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 um very pretend fake image of. Yeah. Canada that's built on the bones of literally graveyard, the actual actual graveyard of indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's another thing. Maybe we'll save that for Canada's Independence Day. Then <laughs> we on Canada. I can't let Britain get away get away with it as well because obviously, like it's saying, this book is yeah, claiming they, they that. Yeah, they conspired, but that's exactly it. This is exactly it's. It, you know what? It's the perfect perfect anecdote. It is the perfect i want to scream it's the perfect antidote for for islamophobia because who because it's this what they do is this whole time there was this perceived threat shamima begum she was a perceived threat on british soil where did the threat come from who created that mm. who created it it wasn't isis it was canada and britain it's it's the perfect anecdote for for islam and islamophobia at large they create the it's, it's the boogeyman it's the boogeyman it is this this uh, contrived constructed fear that the west have created for their own personal gain you know it's if people today are afraid of islam it's not because islam is scary if they're afraid of muslims it's not because muslims are scary it's because the west has contrived they've they've sat there and they've orchestrated a perceived threat surrounding islam and muslims and this is the perfect, perfect anecdote for that. This whole time they were using Shamima Begum, like, oh, be quick in your boots, they're coming. ISIS are coming. Fam. It's not even real. Ain't even, she ain't even a real terrorist, bro. She was sent there. She's literally a victim. She's a victim Groomed, of, yeah. of she's a victim of child trafficking and child grooming. On that note. Um, thanks a lot, Hilima, for joining me today. Um, it's always been a pleasure. Um, love to get, I love to come on radio and get riled up. <laughs> There's no better place for it. Um, yeah, and I will be seeing you tomorrow as well for a very special yeah, interview. Thanks, thanks Kiel. Yeah. Five killed guys. We do have an exciting 
exciting episode coming up. Yes, guys, what's good? You're tuned into Mango Masala, Pi Radio's South Asian show. My name's Gerns, and I'm joined here by Rimshocks. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, all good. All good, thanks. This always happens, by the way. I always start chatting to people, and then I'm like, oh, wait, we actually have to start recording now. <laughs> but I was just saying before we started um, the official interview, how obviously your name I've heard here and there, as you do with producers like being on various tracks which some of my favorites as well like um and my favorite rack star track you produced london and obviously so many of bilal's as well um but yeah it's nice to finally get to talk and speak to you in person no, no i appreciate that appreciate that i mean uh to be honest uh, it's probably now uh people are I, I guess i get i'm getting a bit more recognition just having a bit more of a presence um you know along with with my name uh you know I, for years i've been doing this for about 10 years now and i think only now probably in the past few years thanks to rackstar um you know artists like blau and taz you know they're credible artists themselves so you know working alongside them has definitely helped my my name sort of reach to a certain level so for sure man and i think now obviously with this new release i think it's it's definitely a new journey for me coming out as a producer to sort of transitioning into an artist you could say so yeah yeah for sure it's, it's been a fun one man yeah we'll definitely get into talking about the new single and um why you've decided to do that as well um but just first off for people that maybe don't know that much about you um you've said you've been doing it for a while i think um i read that you've been um, doing this for 10 years now so like do you want to just tell us a bit about how you actually got into producing and your journey so far yeah so um so like you said uh, it's been about roughly 10 years at least i would say sort of uh, my sixth form days that's pretty much when i started out making beats and sort of getting into it through i mean i'm not from a musical family at all so where i sort of got the inspiration to sort of make music i would say it's probably a mixture of having spare time boredom but i guess generally just loving music in general I think as a kid, I used to always, um, you know, whenever I used to listen to music, I was always that kid with the headphones in school or banging beats on tables, creating rhythms, just naturally, uh, I guess, just because it was fun, to be honest. And I think at a certain point, I probably did get sort of suggestions that, you know, why don't you sort of try making music? You know, you're always doing these things. You're always, in, you know, you're talking about breaking down sort of how music's made and, you know, just, just, generally shown enthusiasm towards music and I guess I think initially I thought that wasn't something that was going to be accessible to someone like me I mean coming from a working class family you know I always thought you know when I started out that you'd need sort of real expensive gear you know obviously my inspiration at the time was you know producers like you know Dr Dre, Scott Storch and all these big sort of producers coming out from America and just you know through the movies and everything just generally you'd think you know you'd never have access to do something that they do um you know this just at their hands in you know in your bedroom for example it's just it wasn't accessible at all and then i think soldier boy um his single sort of was a big i think um what was the single called crank bat i think you know the yeah, the one that out. everyone knows yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly the one yeah. he's known most knownly for uh known sort of mostly for and um basically i read up on it and I just realized he made music uh, through this particular software that was free. Uh, and it was, it was number one in the billboard charts. And it just, 
did a lot for me to realize that you know you can actually do this um you know you can make music literally become a bedroom producer making you know songs like soldier boy did and reaching those heights as well you know so i guess moments like that really made me believe i could you know start out at least doing this as a hobby you know so i guess that not to sort of ramble on too much but that's kind of how i got into it naturally and um yeah that's that's pretty much how i started what was the software of interest at fl studio yeah thought, thought the, the so. back then so yeah <laughs> we don't call it that anymore but fl studio to i guess a bit more of a professional sort of sounding term for it but yeah fl gang for sure <laughs> I'm, I'm still using that to this day so yeah i mean it's evolved anyway you know a lot of big known producers a lot of people probably don't realize that that use the same software as well so yeah fl studio for life so why now then because you've been producing for like you say at least a year at least 10 years at least a decade if you want to call it that why now have you chosen okay um because obviously you've put out tracks that have got considerable recognition and we've mentioned before some of these artists especially within the um, south asian music scene that are particularly respected why now have you decided now is the time for me to venture as an artist in my own right i think it's a mixture of me feeling ready to uh but also with the sort of climate of music this year these days i mean initially starting out it wasn't sort of a prominent thing for a producer to sort of come out unless you were like a, a p diddy or, or someone like that you know um, sort of you know at the forefront immediately but i guess it wasn't something i was interested in either i was just interested in just making music just loving the fact of you know just collaborating with artists that it was just never in my sort of intention really to to be making you know music and becoming an artist i just wanted to be credited but not to the extent of being at the forefront of you know having my name out there in that in that sense and i guess i had a bit of you know producers i would say we have a common thing of i, I guess insecurity as well you know just being in front of camera i think we're we're known for you know being behind all of the sort of commotion you could say or behind all the glitz and glamour and we're just sort of happy just making music really and just in our bedroom or studio just behind the camera so why I'm ready now, I would say. I think because I'm a bit more comfortable on camera, I would say, in general. Um, but also the climate of music is got to a point you you sort of do need to be out there now as a producer. You do need to, in, in terms of your brand, um, I'd say it's very important more than ever now to be in front of the camera, be learn, I guess, you know, confidence doesn't come naturally to everybody. And me, I'm definitely... I wouldn't say I'm the most confident, um, but I'm learning, you know, um, you know, just practicing, I guess, just practicing in the last year or two. I've, I've kind of sort of put out sort of more video content, me making beats, things like that, just to sort of help me get out there and just show my face. And again, just just things like producer tags, that's become a, a thing now, um, as well as just having your face out there. Just people need to recognize you, really. And I think otherwise you the way music's moving nowadays and how fast it's moving, I think you it's so key to really have your face out there as well as being the creator of the music as well. So yeah, that's, the, I guess, a mixture of the two. Sure. So that's why you've decided 
now's the time to do that so yeah. what about this particular reese so Agun Lago which I correct me if I'm wrong I did a bit of google translating because I don't know bungalow myself yeah. um, apparently means feel bad is that the correct <laughs> meaning behind it feel bad <laughs> wait I'm not sure um the, the the correct term I would say is I mean Agun is fire basically and Lago is sort of an action basically lighting a fire yeah, definitely. The guys don't use Google Translate. Don't trust Google Translate. <laughs> yeah, that kind of really, but it make it makes sense it, though. I guess it was just a, a title that we thought, you know, when we sort of when I was just discussing it with Bilal, he was, you know, heavily involved in this track actually. Before we sort of um, got Trouble and Shibu involved, the the other featured artists, I think the idea initially started with Bilal actually. Um, just creating the the music behind it. I had that beat probably for a few years, and I always knew that it was a it was a special one. And I just wanted to have the right artist on that beat, basically. And that's I guess that's why it took the time. And just building that relationship with Bilal, I realized that he could definitely fit on a track like this, especially with the sound that that's coming out of his sort of portfolio as well. And um, just just in general just collaborating with him sort of made sort of the the agenda i guess for the track or the objective to for it to be sort of bangla infused really um because I'm, i am i would say i'm before this release i would say i'm quite known predominantly in the punjabi scene if i'm being honest um you know prior to rackstar and prior to Bilal, sorry rackstar and artists like Taz, you know, two big figures in the scene, I would say that's how I initially got myself known, really, and got my name out there. Um, but I think with this whole trend and this whole sort of movement that's happening in the in the sort of Bangla music scene, um, I definitely felt that it was the right time as well to sort of bring my style into, into that movement. Mm -hmm. I thought I had a part to play as well, because me being Bangladeshi myself, I thought that was very important as well for me to come out as an artist and establish that my identity as well. Because I don't think people actually realize that I'm, I am Bangladeshi and I am sort of from, I am obviously very integrated with my culture as well. And I thought, what better way to do it than represent that through my music, you know? So that explains sort of me recruiting um, artists like Bilal Trouble, who's, you know, a fellow uh, Bangladeshi artist, as well as Shibu, who's overseas. He's actually. Mm -hmm. Dhaka originally so to have sort of three sort of talented Bangladeshi artists coming through on a track like this I just thought it would just fit perfectly so yeah so like you said you've um made this track with the idea of um celebrating your culture your identity um hence why i've chosen these three three bangladeshi artists um yeah. but obviously like you said before there is this whole movement and i do want to say as well that i do particularly enjoy this i don't know how to describe it apart from a certain level of like I don't, I was, it's class or swag i don't i don't know what it is but like bangladeshi artists bangla artists there is something about them like where whenever i listen to them you got your bilals etc like they've just got something about them and i do really enjoy that like i guess really nice how it is just part of that whole movement and like basically just you know it's going to sound good but with that in mind obviously there is so much bangladeshi talent out there and um, why did you decide to go for these three artists in particular well i thought definitely they all brought something to the table 
you know, although they sort of have a lot of commonalities in their styles, I, I also thought they were quite different as well. Um, Bilal, naturally, he's a very versatile artist in general. Um, and I thought, because well, I guess naturally, because we work so well together, that's why I thought, you know, I would send it to him initially. And, you know, he married to the beat perfectly as well, you know, as he's on the hook. So he really did a good job. And I just felt Bilal was a great one to have just with our working relationship and just he that's the sort of a sound he's pushing out to as well so he kind of got it straight away what what my sort of objective was for the track um and for trouble i think um he has definitely sort of that uk sound for sure and i just felt you know although it is a song that i would like to cross over to bangladesh and obviously just globally in general i just definitely thought to have that sort of sort of rooted UK sound that he brings to the table I thought he would be a great fit so you know naturally I brought him on there and Shibu was just definitely um he's an upcoming artist I don't think well I'm not sure how many people how many um guys know him but for sure he's a very talented artist he's only in that 90s like the youngest out of all of us so um but definitely not the least for talent for sure and you know through his music I just thought he'd bring that sort of um, R&B swag to it in his own style and sort of that, I guess him being from Dhaka and rooted in Bangladesh and born there, I just naturally thought his um, his style is going to be different anyway, you know, and it's just, he is going to bring that authenticity as well through his tone. Um, so just the musicality reason really to bring Shubi on to be fair. So yeah, I think they all brought something to the table. Sure. And it is really cool that you saw that as well because I think looking at it um, completely um, objectively, these three artists, whilst they're all Bangladeshi, I don't know whether there's that much in terms of um, standard similarities between the three of them, but it does really work. Like when you listen to the track, like it is seamless almost then the flowing between the three artists and then you on the beat, like it works. So, like, kudos to you for actually thinking these three artists would work well together no i appreciate it thank you um yeah i mean it just to be honest it was never like i was saying before it was never a, i didn't have it sort of ready set to have these art it sort of flowed and happened naturally i would say i think I, just naturally the beat was made a few years ago so then from there we got bilal on there and then from bilal we felt you know naturally it could you know we could have a few more artists that could add something else to it and I guess doing some research and through our network uh, and our circles, we sort of realized, you know, the artists that could potentially be on there as well. And that led to trouble and should we really? So yeah, it was definitely some research involved as well, for sure. Cool. So rounding things off then, what's your plan for the future? Are you thinking that you're going to put out more releases with you as a standalone artist? Or would you say that you're still going to do production only tracks as well? Yeah, it's, it's exactly that. I think I'm I'm definitely going to, you know, have a hand in, in different areas in music in general. I mean, as a producer, I just I'm, I'm just want to experiment, really. I'm just in that phase of exploring different avenues as, as and maximizing my potential, really. And that's definitely, um, you know, why a track like Aguna Go is even out, because it was just me exploring initially what it's like to be an artist and have sort of that experience of being at the forefront as well. Mm-hmm. And just seeing what doors that can open as well, because there's you know there's there are certain limitations of being just a producer and you know having that title of just being you know produced by rim sharks and not 
Rimshocks, Rimshocks featuring. I just want to see what the differences are. So it is a learning curve for me as well. And it's a journey that I'm taking to sort of, I guess, grow as well. Just grow uh, in general as um, just as a musician, just in general. And definitely um, I'm going to have a hand in uh, production with uh, an artist, uh, with multiple artists and work with as many people as I can um, and just maximize, maximizing my potential. And a lot of stand along tracks too as well. Definitely plenty of tracks to come for me um, as an artist as well, for sure. Um, where's the best place if people want to follow your journey? Um, at social media, if you just type in Rimshocks, you'll pretty much find me everywhere. Spotify, it's Rimshocks, R-I-M-S-H-O-X. My handle, Insta handle is uh, Rimshocks as well. Um, SoundCloud, Rim, I've pretty much had such a unique name. You can pretty much find me bang on with my production name, which is Rimshocks. So Google me, you'll find me everywhere pretty much. As a closing question, where does the name come from then? It's not really a, a great story, but I could tell it. It's just a, an instrument that is a, a Rimshock, a rim basically, with a T on the end. And at the time when I was thinking of coming up with a name i just needed a unique name basically um something that's quite short simple something that's catchy and um believe me i went through loads of names and it just i just got so insecure about which one was you know which one sounded right what sounded cheesy what didn't sound cheesy and i think i just eventually i just sort of thought to myself you know what just think of a name that no one else has got and eventually you make that into a brand and people will find it cool anyway to, to sort of pronounce. And that's what it is now. I think I find it nice just to hear my name spoken by someone else, like you, like yourself, a radio presenter, it just sounds really cool for someone else to say that name, you know? Um, but yeah, it was literally just repeat, replacing that instrument, putting an X on the end. And that was it. <laughs> it worked though. So yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I've stuck with that name for about 10 years. So, you know, I must be doing something right. <laughs> yes. That was Agun Lago by Rimshucks featuring Bill Alshahid. Trouble and Shibu available now on all streaming platforms. Make sure you go check that out. Coming to the end of today's episode, thanks a lot to everyone that has tuned in. This has been Mango Masala, the South Asian show here on Pi Radio, Manchester's number one youth radio station. Make sure you're following us on all social platforms at Mango Masala Radio. And yeah, we will see you same time next week.